powered by Sports Interaction, Canada Sportsbook. Welcome to Game Over Montreal. Another Montreal Canadiens loss, but hey, they didn't give up seven tonight. So hats off to the Montreal Canadiens. They avoided the unfortunate uh, stat line that I think uh, the National Predators uh, writer uh, Adam Vingen tweeted that uh, they would have been the first team since like the 1960s or something to allow seven goals in three straight games. So they avoided that, uh, thankfully, but uh, didn't avoid the loss. Got a couple of nice uh, moments there. Looked like they were a little bit more competitive, but the issue with this team, I think, lately is even if they can start a game decently well, they're still getting behind early, and they don't seem to be able to close out uh, a game's play a full 60 minutes. Got a great show for you tonight. We're going to talk about this game. We're going to talk about the Canadians, the Predators, with Chris Meany and Eric Young, uh, also known as Jeremy, I believe. His real name, we'll, we'll refer to him as his, uh, yeah, Jeremy Fritz. We'll refer to him as Eric Young for the show because let's uh, keep it real with the wrestling terminology. And I'm going to introduce him in just a second. But first, I got to tell you, I think you know the way it's going to go. Make your bet with Sports Interaction. Whether it's hockey, football, or basketball, Sports Interaction has you covered. Bet pregame, live in play, or on one of our many prop bets Sports Interaction makes it easy to deposit, play, and cash out. Join now and see all sports betting has to offer. You want to bet? Head to sportsinteraction.com slash sdpn. That's sportsinteraction.com slash sdpn. 19 plus, please play responsibly. And maybe if you want to enjoy something about this Montreal Canadiens season as a Canadiens fan, you should bet against the Montreal Canadiens. <laughs> all right, let's welcome in my guests tonight. How are you guys doing? Yeah, we're doing good, man. Uh, I'm doing good. I mean, I'm here in beautiful Nashville. It's almost 60 degrees today. Uh, I didn't have a sweatshirt on all day. And uh, the Nashville Predators scored two power play goals. That's not good if you're a Canadiens fan. <laughs> have the Predators been I bad on the power play? Because it's a whole different world yes. of bad here. <laughs> oh, they're bad. Really yeah. bad. We talked about it today. I think you, I feel like the Predators have been bad for a couple of years in the power play. I don't know what it is. Yeah. Like they have skilled players. Obviously, Yossi's a beast. Yeah, I think he had 11 shot attempts tonight. But the Habs will make your power play wake up. And they did that tonight. Yeah. Yeah. They did. And this is a thing like we've kind of been harping on it all season. And the Canadian special teams just are not good. Like they're not a great even strength team either. They're in a, a rebuild. This is essentially the first year of the like official rebuild. So this is to be expected, but the special teams are terrible. And early in the season, a lot of people who don't pay attention to the the numbers were saying like, "Oh, you know, the penalty kills doing pretty well." But mostly it was just goaltending. And we we've seen it fall apart now as the goaltenders start to you know, not be performing way above their talent level as they were when they started the season. Uh, you know, I think Jake Allen's a good goaltender. I think Sam Montembeau has been great this season for what he's supposed to be. But uh, I think they were both in, like, the top 12 in terms of goals saved above expected for the first, like, two and a half months. It's not going to last the whole season. 82 games is a long time, and uh, true talent shows out. Yeah, for sure. And, it, you know, it's... I thought Monaghan you know, played pretty good at the start of the season. He was giving their penalty kills something and their and their power play something as well. It was, it's it's a little bit too predictable. Uh, I feel like when when he's not out there, but 
they just take so many penalties. Like they lead the league in penalties taken. And and Eric saw it tonight. And this is something that we talked about on Dangle Batselli this morning is that the the power play opportunities would be there for Nashville. And they were. I think they had a couple power play goals. And even that third goal that the Preds scored was at the very end of a of a penalty. So I mean, basically a power play goal. And then the five on three there where they're just kind of whipping it around. And you can see that it's like Duchesne was was just ready for that one timer from Yossi and it was in the back of the net. So, I mean, Eric, you saw it, right? I mean, undisciplined is, is what I see sometimes when I yeah. watch the Canadians. Yeah. I think like, I mean, watching, I, I would have watched every minute of this game regardless because I am a, a hockey psycho and, and uh, I don't miss m- many of the Predators games, if any. And uh, <clears throat> for me, what is glaring is like, look, I mean, Oh, you dropped out there for a second, Eric. Dropped out. Tag team note. <laughs> All right, we can't hear you for now. Oh, no, he's gone. Oh, okay. Well, we'll get Eric back in a minute here. I'll uh, switch over to our two-person screen so that it doesn't look weird. And uh, we'll continue talking to Chris. Yeah, the Canadians aren't very disciplined. But you know what is a great story, honestly, uh, talking about the Canadians, is the one guy who doesn't take a bunch of penalties right now is the guy who's been an issue all season long. And that's Arbor Jacki. He's been one of the few players who's consistently improved their game over the last chaotic stretch. And I believe this is his fifth straight game now without taking a minor penalty, which doesn't sound like a lot, but for a guy who was taking a penalty a game, it's marked improvement. And there were several times tonight where he could have lost it a little bit and lost his composure and he continued to maintain it. Yeah, you're spot on. And for the style of hockey he plays too, it's it's pretty impressive sure. to kind of stay out of the box over the past, you know, couple of weeks because yeah, he doesn't shy away. He's very aggressive. He's he's shown that he'll stick up for his teammates at any moment too. And, you know, he he does make it hard for players to kind of get in front of the net. Uh, he's, he has been impressive at all the rookie defensemen that they've been rolling out this year. I mean, I've really impressed with Caden Gooley. Um, I don't know the extent of his injury. I know he's placed on IR, but he's to me, he was, he's been extremely impressive uh, logging heavy minutes, you know, against the team's top opposing players night in and night out. But yeah, Arbor Jack, has been, there's not too many bright spots. I'll say that, but he's definitely one of them. It's, and it's, it's such a cool story with him too. And, you know, seeing it the way that he was brought up and, um, and here he is now playing the NHL undrafted. They're playing a big role. <laughs> yeah, 100%, especially now that Gooley's out, right? He has to get pushed up the lineup further, and, you know, playing with Chris Weidman tonight, uh, oftentimes, I think, behind the top line, really. Uh, cushy gig, really, to play behind Doc, Suzuki, and Caulfield. I think they were the only line that really had it going tonight, but uh, he's, he's showing up. You know, he's playing well. He was one of the few guys tonight, I thought, who played pretty decent in all three periods. So great story, Arbor Jack guy. And I, before we get uh, too far into the show, I have to say to everyone, please like the show because uh, that helps us grow. And Hey, if you're here hanging out, share it on Twitter or Facebook or wherever, help people find us. And uh, we'll continue to have fun with all your good quotes here. I know uh, Eric's not here <laughs> for now because I think his internet died. But he's uh, Trizak in the comments says Dan Hynote, who is I believe an assistant coach with the Predators, had the audacity to say that the Habs power play was dangerous tonight. You know I'm gonna defend the Canadians a little bit because I feel like in the first period the Preds didn't really 
outplay the Montreal Canadiens. I think they, the Canadiens started off the game pretty decent. And Soros was great. And the Predators had three perfect goals, right? They got that one breakdown where Justin Barron was caught, uh, you know, unawares, I guess, by Matt Deshane, I think, or Fleet Forsberg in the neutral zone there. But like the two tips, one of them was a borderline high stick. The other and the other one was, you know, just this weird through line pass that appeared out of nowhere. And I think they actually called it Ekholm's goal still, but it looked like it was tipped. I don't know. I thought that Soros was the difference in the first period more than anything. The Canadians did have some good chances. And as much as the Canadians' power play is a punchline, let's not kid ourselves. Yeah. I thought they did have some good chances. And anything, anytime that Soros wasn't you know, in a great position, the Predators came up with some big blocked shots. Yeah, they did. And, and they have guys that, that can clearly do that. I mean, Ryan McDonough has been one of the better ones doing that in the league and at home. I think that's, I think that at home goal went off Aaron. I feel like it went off his stick. I thought maybe it went off Nita Ryder and like Nita Ryder. And I forget who else is in front of the net there. Maybe Mikhail Granlin, but I feel like it went off, off Baron. So a tough, tough period for him, but you're spot on. I mean, even looking at the numbers, you know, they had five high danger chances at five and five in the first period and they didn't have another one you know, the rest of the way zero in the second zero in the third. Um, and they got, you know, 10 against for the, for the entire game. So the scoring chances were spot on nine, nine, two, uh, they had some chances. Cole Caulfield had a, you know, that beautiful, you know, breakaway goal that he scored as well. So just, you know, tough luck. And they've been starting so like so slow in a lot of their yep. games. Right. And I know it was a key for this team to kind of, you know, let's not get down two, three goals early. And unfortunately that was the case, but I yep. thought they, they did have some moments still in the first where they were competitive and they were going toe to toe with, with Nashville. But it, it seems to me, and I'm, and I'm sure you see it as well in your viewers and listeners, it's, it seems like a confidence thing. And that's part of the discipline too. Like they get frustrated, get down by a couple goals. Uh, some of the penalties too have been like weird penalties this season. And, and sometimes they don't get the breaks and it seems like a frustrated team where they they're a little bit more undisciplined or they get down on themselves. And all of a sudden, you know, it's you know, a three goal lead turns into like a four or five, like we've seen recently. Yeah. Things kind of get away from them. And I think they're a team that really struggles with like, if the goalie gives up a couple early, like this has yeah. been an issue with uh, Jake Allen, I think for the last couple of years where if he gives up one, he's probably going to give up three, but if they can score first, it's like he turns into a wall and they can kind of eke out wins that way. And when Marty St. Louis first came on board in like early the season as well, they were getting breaks in the form of they get behind and then they kind of find a way to tie it late in the game or, or in the third period and, and yeah. win it in overtime or a shootout. And that just hasn't been happening lately because it's not something that you can depend on for like winning games consistently, right? You can't depend on getting those breaks. And as the Canadians haven't, you, know, you can look at whatever you want in this game, whether it's the borderline high stick in the first goal or uh, Brendan Gallagher getting caught, called for a high stick because Jankowski knocked his stick up into his own face. You know, yeah. it's it's stuff like that. And it happens He's to like every that. team, yeah. right? Like it happens to everyone. But for the Canadians, it's just like too much for them to overcome with the talent level that they currently have. And I know that a lot of... Uh, Canadians fans are frustrated, but I got to say is frustrating. It is as it is to watch and it is frustrating to watch because 
for the first two months of the season, we were treated to a fairly entertaining team to watch. And outside of Cole Caulfield right now, they just aren't that. If you're watching the World Juniors and you're seeing Connor Bedard, and you saw that photo circulating the last couple days of uh, young Connor Bedard with Marty St. Louis, yeah. is it written in the stars? Because <laughs> there's nowhere he could go where he would be a bigger star. Like a guy like that, Montreal has not had that guy since Lafleur. Right. Yeah. Um, I mean, if you're a Habs fan, you got to hope that it is written in the stars. I saw you tweet that. I, I hadn't seen that photo before. Uh, retweet that one. I mean, yeah, you look at some of the bottom teams, uh, you know, Anaheim. Yeah, fun with Zegers, but let's be honest, like Anaheim, Arizona, right? It's not the same. It's not even close to the same market here as uh, as Montreal. And, and Chicago is original six squad. And I was talking to Eric about this and how we said we didn't want to see him go to Chicago like Pittsburgh, right? When they had all the stars and they just rebuild was so quick. Oh, here's Crosby and, and Malkin and. And with Chicago and Kane and Taves and all those cups, and if they were able to get Bedard this year, it'd be like, oh, are you serious? Like the the turn yeah. is gonna be that quick for you? But it is fun to watch. And if again, if you're a Canadians fan, you got to be pretty impressed with some of the players that you've seen in the World Juniors as well. I mean, they got four or five kids there that have certainly played really good, and and you know, a couple of them are gonna be playing deeper into this tournament. So yeah, it's, yeah, they're in my opinion, they're gonna be a bottom five team. And I don't think I would have said that last like a month ago because of what you said that they were playing competitive. And they were hanging in games. They were scoring some goals. They were getting contributions from just outside of Caulfield and, and Suzuki. But now with with this slump, and I always feel like they struggle anyways on this Christmas road trip. I feel like just for years, man, I remember this as a kid. Like, this, just like, here we go. Fun, fun road trip. And it just it never seems to really work out for them. But now they're now you got to start thinking about what pieces you're gonna, are you going to are you going to trade away? Like it, Edmondson, is, is he gone? So that's a nut that's. Arguably, it's definitely your most experienced blue liner. So you're gonna be rolling out what five five rookies again, and then yeah. you know even other guys that are up front that may not offer a whole lot right now, like they're gonna be probably traded at the deadline too, like maybe a Dadenoff or a Duran. Yeah, I mean Eddie is definitely the most experienced. I mean, maybe Savard has more games, but he's yeah, also probably, probably the worst. <laughs> yeah, no, Edmondson sure. has been Big brutal, player. and that's been a story. And I've seen a couple comments in here like, how has Edmondson been this bad? And I think one of the interesting things, like after watching last season, I am a little bit shocked that I watch David Savard and I see the value pretty much every night and I watch Edmondson and outside of the penalty kill, like I see nothing worth talking about, like in a positive manner. Like he's just the same as Petrie. He was, he's a different, maybe Petrie helped him. Big time, yeah. right? Um, Petrie helped a lot of guys. Yeah, he did. He did. So he, he kind of shielded him in, in that four when Weber was with uh, Sherratt. But I, I agree with you. I mean, he's not really playing impressive. Your boy Chris Johnson said that, uh, you know, a potential first in return for Edmondson here at the deadline. So, I mean, Sherratt got that. Yeah, we're going to have to get uh, Chris on the show this year. It never worked out last year. We were supposed to do like a deadline show and he got sick, so he couldn't do it. But uh, if if they can manage a first for Sherratt, or first for Edmondson after getting a first for Sherratt and watch, like, I mean, I'm guessing it's going to be protected. Because after watching what's happened to the Florida Panthers, at, like what GM wouldn't be gun shy about making that trade, right? And Sherratt was terrible in the playoffs, just like he was terrible in the playoffs his whole career. Yeah, no, he was. And that was a steal. I thought the Canadians did pretty good. I mean, 
they get a second what for Brett Kulak. It's turned out to be Lane Hudson, who has been impressive as well here in the tournament for the, for the States. Is a nice little crafty defenseman with a lot of offensive upside. So he, he's he's small and not going to be. I don't know if it'd be great as a defensive defenseman, but he'll offer that power play something in the, in a couple of years. I can guarantee you that. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, a lot of people are looking at Lane Hudson and saying like that's the fix for the power play. Even though I think it's uh, it's more than just the guy at the back end that's the issue with the power play. Like we can get into the tactics and how guys just don't move, but I think that we've like beaten that dead horse to within an inch. Talked about that once or twice on this show, have you? Yeah, it's it's a little bit uh, too predictable, right? Suzuki comes out wide and. He's either shooting or passing it across crease to, to Caulfield. I think, you know, Kirby Doc needs an incentive in his contract to shoot the puck a little bit more. He's got a nice shot. I think he should shoot. He's he, in his nature. He's more of a pass first guy. But um, if, if he starts shooting, then that power play won't become as predictable. Yeah, I'm just talking. Eric is messaging. He's saying his laptop is frozen up. So he's trying to figure out what's going on. So we're, we're trying to get Eric back on the show to uh, be happy about the Nashville Predators. We'll see if it happens. If it doesn't. We'll, we'll find another time. But, uh, yeah, I mean, Kirby Doc, they mentioned on the broadcast uh, that he, he, he doesn't need to score, right? He just needs to use his shot and be a, a bit of a threat. Mm-hmm. But uh, it it's like the one thing he needs to kind of add to his power play repertoire. Are the, I feel like he's been struggling a little bit on the power play lately. His first stretch up at the top was really strong, and now it, it seems like he's a bit more tentative with the puck, making... Mm-hmm like more safe plays, but they did, they got some decent looks tonight. At least there was some, some life, I think from Suzuki, which is the first in a while, like he's just been really lacking the confidence. And what you were talking about earlier with like, uh, where you can see like the, the plays that happen when a guy doesn't have confidence or a team doesn't have confidence. There was a play, I think in the second period where there was like a, a reverse on a goal mouth scramble and Suzuki had the puck right in front of Saros and he, kind of did a little back pass over to Doc and yeah. and missed him. But like in the beginning of the season, Suzuki would have just shot that. And maybe he doesn't score, but at least you get it on net, get a little scoring chance, maybe create a rebound for Doc to bang in instead of throwing a little backhand pass right through him. So it's stuff like that that, you know, the players are frustrated, the fans get frustrated, and it just breeds this consternation. And like we can see it in the engagement, right? Like we've got our regulars here for sure, but a lot of people, I think, turn this game off in the second period. Oh yeah, <laughs> I mean it's it's again it's been kind of the same old here over this over this past three four weeks, right? It's what is that eight of eleven now or or something like that? It's it's a it's a lengthy losing streak and and first couple of games now I've seen Suzuki kind of, and it's such an important role for him too. Right. I mean, he's got to kind of keep composure. I heard Mike Johnson talking on the broadcast a couple of weeks ago is like the captain, young captain and the team going through a losing streak and struggling, you know, you see the faces on the bench. It's like another four or five goal loss. And, you know, he's got to try to keep his composure, but I saw today a couple, like I usually don't see him take too many cheap shots. Not that it was, but like, you know, a guy finishing a hit on him and maybe he gives a little bit of a whack in the back of the leg and things like that. Not that there's anything wrong with that. I mean, I played hockey, I give a little bit of a whack back and forth myself, but um, you could see a little bit of the frustration in his game. It's another guy that I would like to see maybe shoot the puck a little bit more. Um, but also in his knees, such a unbelievable playmaker that it's, you know, it's in his nature to kind of look for that pass first, but 
And some of these guys, I see they score score nice goals. Like Caulfield scored so many nice goals over the past couple of days, and I don't even really see a celebration from him because he just puts his head down and goes to the bench. It's like, yeah, well, you know, now we're down by three and not uh, not four. But um, here we go. Here's the old boy coming back here shortly. So yeah, it's it's kind of wild, you know, to see how much it affects them because I think this is kind of what the Canadians wanted to avoid in doing this rebuild is an extended period of this where the players that they already have in the right spots start to get down, sorry, excuse me, uh, d- uh, down on themselves and yeah. frustrated. And I think it's, it was a bit of an unrealistic idea because if you're going to do a rebuild, that's multiple years and your team is this thin, there's going to be times like this. It doesn't matter if it's Scotty Bowman coaching, you know, <laughs> like, I know people are getting down on Marty St. Louis a little bit right now, but I, I'm I think because my expectations were so different than so many people this year, I'm not really down on this team right now because I'm still seeing, you know, Caulfield's doing what he's doing. Suzuki's definitely frustrated, but Doc has worked out better than I possibly oh, could yeah. have imagined, right? That contract especially looks fantastic. Then you've got all these rookie defensemen who are at the very least showing that they're capable NHL players maybe in spots too high for what they're in then you realize that, like Sean Monahan's out right so there's your second line center gone uh Mike Matheson's been out essentially the entire season yeah number one D gone they're dealing with a lot and a lot of the players that they have in their the roster there are not necessarily in the right spots it looks like uh Eric might be back here let's see maybe not I did see him I did see yeah, him and I he, think he came he just, in for a minute there. I did see him and I think he just bounced again. So it looks like he's maybe he's getting things uh, back together. But I'm not too hard on St. Louis. I'm with you. I didn't expect too much. I don't think anybody really expected too much. I mean, you talked about um, you know betting in your in your promo, and I think the Habs you know point total was at like 80 and is an easy under for me. Like I just yeah. I thought this team would be a little bit more competitive this season, and they have been. It's it's a rough stretch right now. Let's be honest. But they they have been a little bit more competitive. They're not getting anything from like Hermia, who's a healthy scratch tonight. St. Louis tried, right? He's tried. What, is, yep. what do you want him to do? He's tried. He's moved him up and down the the lineup. He's he's put him on. I saw him on the first power play at times last week. He was playing with Suzuki and Caulfield. Like you're you're playing with your two best players. You're trying to get this guy going. Duran hasn't scored a goal in what feels like a couple of years, and and you know Anderson's chipping in here and there, but they they are, they're missing some guys. But yeah, I'm not, I'm not too hard on St. Louis. He's young coach. He's learning this. Uh, you know, he's in a very tough spot this season. And again, it's the team's not really helping him out. Um, you know, with with the discipline. I don't want to hammer that too much more, but it does seem to be a, a big problem when I watch this team play. When you said that they probably turned it off halfway through uh, the night. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. And you know, like I, I will say, St. Louis' strategy of trying to get those veterans going. It really worked with Mike Hoffman. Like he mm-hmm. put Mike Hoffman in so many good situations and got nothing for it for like 20 games. And then finally he got, I think it was like a Brendan Gallagher rebound twice in one game. And all of a sudden it's like yeah. the old Mike Hoffman that could actually contribute was back. And I know he didn't have a great game tonight. He looked a little bit frustrated tonight, but that pass that he gave to, to Gallagher on Gallagher's goal was fantastic. Nice. And he's been finding ways to contribute offensively and not be a gigantic liability defensively. He still has his couple of 
horrifically bad passes every game, but that's Mike Hoffman. You're not going to get that out of his game magically. But the fact is he has the confidence now to produce a little bit, and that's that's a good thing, right? But it hasn't worked with Duran to the extent that you want him to like contribute to goal scoring a little bit, even though I thought Duran had a, a semi-decent game tonight, uh, set up a goal, nice little back pass to Josh Anderson, which was a banana, to be honest, from Soros, but yeah, still. yeah. He was involved. Uh, it hasn't really worked with Dodonov. I think Dodonov's been better. But again, we saw last year how good Dodonov can be. That player has not shown up this year. Right? No, I don't... he's only a couple years removed from like 30 goal campaign. Like he It's wild. Yeah, it is. He's nowhere even close to that. At times it felt like he was kind of clicking with Monahan for a little bit. Um, I feel like they had him, Monahan and um, Kaufman on a line together, and it seemed like it was okay at moments. Been really impressed with Monahan. Like, I wonder yeah. the, what they think about Monahan as a, as a future piece, because what is he 29? It, the past couple of years now, there have been some injuries and this season may, you know, him being hurt may change their mind a little bit about his future. I don't know. I think they're probably, you know, looking more so long term, but he entered the league as like a t- proven twenty goal scorer. I think his first five seasons in the league, a couple thirties, I believe, and he'd be a really nice pickup for a team. Like, put him on a third line of a squad, like, and he'd be a nice get. He can play on the power play, he can kill penalties, and they could probably get something decent for him. So I wonder if he's really part of the future. But what do you? What do they get? You feel like they're going to trade Duran? Yeah, I don't know if they, these are guys that are going to be flipped at the deadline or what. Yeah, I mean, I don't think they're going to get much for Duran unless he starts no. like really putting up numbers, which it it just doesn't look like that's going to happen this it's year. Not happen. I mean, Duran might flip a switch, being out of the limelight a little bit. He he might just need a break from the Montreal pressure cooker. I, I'm not sure. I I really like Duran as a person, and I think there's talent there as a player. He was just put in a Absolutely. situation that he was bound to fail in in Montreal. But, yeah, I think the big pieces that they have this year are the Edmondson possibility of being traded. I know he's got a year left, but I think most teams can absorb one year at his cap hit if they think that he's, you know, going to cross-check their way to the Stanley Cup final. And and Monaghan, who I, I think they can get another first for, honestly. They got a first to take him on, retain half that salary. I don't know if they have their first this year, but the team I keep on banging the drum for is Colorado. After losing Nazem Kadri last year, like, no offense to him, but do you really think you're going into the playoffs with JT Comfer as your 2C? No no chance. Right? So no, they need someone. Team. Yeah. yeah. And Monaghan gives them a different look. He's got utility. He's been on the PK this year. Like, power play, he can be a net front presence, which, you know, if Gabe Landeskog seems like he's still not on track to come back at the scheduled time. So there's... There's lots of things lining up there. I think Colorado is also very happy with how the Lekkonen trade worked out. So there's a good relationship there, maybe. That's my call. I think Sean Monahan to the Avalanche at the deadline. It's a good call. I like it. Um, yeah, I mean, they're really... Obviously, they're very thin down the middle of the ice. Even when Kadri missed time last year, they they I, I thought that they struggled. And even JT Comper playing up front when McKinnon was, you know, sideline playing 22, 22, 21, 22 minutes a night. Not, not super impressive, but Evan Rodriguez hasn't been able to stay healthy. That, that'd be a nice addition. I, when I think about center teams, needing centers and Minnesota probably wouldn't do it, but I, 
like they they are searching for a center too down the middle, like trying so many different players with Kaprizov and Matt Zuccarello. But I'm sh- like there'd be a lot of teams that would be knocking on the door for for Sean Monahan and the experience that he would bring to a team. So I agree with you. I think he could fetch a first. It'd be interesting to see if the Habs decide that he's a part of their future or not. Because yeah. that brings leadership too, right? I mean, he does bring that, um, you know, with his game. Yeah, and you know, honestly, I didn't think that he was that much of a like character player for lack of a better word i don't want to bring the bergevin uh vocabulary back into the montreal scene but he's just been so impressive this year everything that sean monahan does he like oozes intelligence on the ice right he's just smart hockey player yeah very smart hockey player survives on hockey sense which should i think uh, assuage like fears of him losing a step from his skating uh due to the hip injuries He's just really, really intelligent. I'm going to go to a couple comments here just because this is going to be the last show that we're doing live for, for this month. We're going to try out a different thing where just this show, all the other game overs are going to continue to be live, but this one is going to go to taped and then published because the YouTube algorithm has been screwing with us and we're not getting the traction that we expect. So we're going to see if it's about the live shows because we think that's probably part of what it is. But... Uh, yeah, Trizak says, what I want Martin St. Louis to do is call timeout when the team's getting caved, uh, change goalies when they let in four in a period, and learn how to coach guys other than first liners. I think the timeout thing is fair. I remember like that being an issue with Ducharme as well, is when the team was like totally off track and you could tell that they were rattled. He would just be like, well, i got to save my timeout for the last minute of the game. And it's like... For what? Why don't you just <laughs> save them? What are you saving them for? Like, Use them. Yeah, bro, it's 7 nothing at that point. <laughs> it doesn't matter anymore. So, like, I agree with that, but I have to say the whole, like, coach somebody other than first liners, do we want to go back to the coaches that can't coach first liners? I would prefer this, right? Get the best out of the best guys, and that's that's what I would prefer out of the coaching staff as opposed to what we had before, which was Dominic Ducharme being like, well, yo, yo, Armia, he's fantastic, and let the talented guys get nothing. Yeah. Uh, Caulfield playing second power play in fourth line. I mean, look at what Caulfield, I mean, that's the, that's the thing what you said earlier. It's, it's the biggest bright spot on this team. And it's so nice to see on what is a very bad team. And this guy was able to bounce back after a lot of people were saying, Oh, it was a fluky playoff run. Um, you know, he, he went down to the minors and, you know, removed Montreal from his Instagram. Like if you believe in any of that stuff, I mean, it did, for a minute, Habs fans were telling me like, this isn't good. This is ugly. Well, the, the whole situation with him and now he's turned it around and and he's one of the better goal scorers. I'm confident saying that, you know, in today's game and he's still so young and just learning how to, how to play as a young player. And what St. Louis has gotten out of him as a young player as well himself in the NHL, it's uh, it's tremendous to see. And again, I'm not too hard on St. Louis because what is he going to get out of all these other players? They're just not good enough. They're just not skilled enough. Herbie Doc has been a pleasant surprise. Suzuki's great. Everybody else, it's it. Like Gallagher is is you know is he's lost a lot of steps. He's unfortunately hasn't been able to stay healthy. And I mean, his contract doesn't look great at the moment. And there's a lot of other pieces that are just underachieving, like we've talked about. The one time I saw St. Louis call timeout this is the first time I feel like he was ever mad. I believe it was a game in Vancouver when they were up. They had the lead, and then they 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 gave up like three or four. I think they were up four nothing. And then they gave up that Against lead. Vancouver, yeah. Yeah, and the Canucks came back, and I think um, they made it 5-4, and he called to St. Louis, or called St. Louis, called timeout, and he was freaking out. He was yelling. I was like, wow, some emotion out of him. 
And they scored in like the second shift after that and got back into that game. I think they eventually lost in overtime, but uh, yeah, he's highs and lows. It's part of the rebuilding process. It's a rebuilding process for everybody, right? Yeah. GM, first time GM, first time head coach. And that's like, uh, it's straight on, you know, five, six, seven years ago, I think I would be reacting similar to the way a lot of the fan base reacts, but since kind of like disconnecting from the team and then, not necessarily covering the Canadians as a job for five years or so when I worked for uh, Sportsnet and Winnipeg Free Press mainly. I covered the Canadians for RDS for three years of that, but I guess it was really two, two and a half years where I didn't really cover the Canadians that much. Having that perspective of covering like the whole league or at least all Canadian teams and then now coming back to the Montreal Canadiens as like my main job... It, it gives you a way of kind of staying on the level, right? There's still ups and downs and, and you feel the emotions of watching the team go up and down and having their highs and lows. And you can kind of get a, an idea, like take the temperature of the fan base and all that stuff. But you, you can kind of keep away from overreacting too much. And I think that's what I try to do a little bit on the show is like, Hey, temper, temper the expectations a little bit. You know, ride the highs for sure, but don't get too low in the lows. Focus on some things that are going well. Unfortunately, right. during a rebuild, there's sometimes in the middle of the season, not that much to focus on that's good, right? Like we, I mentioned earlier, 82 games is a long time. And between game like 30 and 60 before the trade deadline, <laughs> sometimes it can get a little hairy in here. But uh, yeah, I know... Uh, Eric messaged me on Twitter, by the way. He won't be able to join back up. He got a message from his internet carrier that his internet's down for the night. So oh, really? We'll, oh, wow. Yeah, we'll try to get him on uh, for the next Nashville game, see if we can it's do a, it. Because I, I had a bunch of questions now, right? for him. Yeah, I mean, uh, Habs and Preds are going to play again here, what, on the 12th? And they're going to have, like, something for PK. So yeah, you should uh, you should try again. I mean, we, we can both come on again and, and chop it up. So I know he was really looking forward to it. We brought it up on the show this morning and how we were going to talk about this and, and, you know, some wrestling stuff with him as well. But, yeah, not to um, hammer on the power play, but, like, Justin Barron's a guy that I'd like to see maybe get some opportunity there too, right? It's like some of these kids and, you know, you're sitting looking at the positives. That's one that's one thing that I'll be looking at in the second half is is seeing how he plays because it was a very small sample size, but you know, I thought he played pretty good down the stretch last season. Um, you know, when in that Lekkonen deal and obviously Lekkonen is a phenomenal player and he's he's worked out on that side of the deal. And let's see if if Justin Barron can what he can bring to the table because he's got some upside. Yeah, he does. And I felt bad for him tonight because he didn't have a great game, but also I think we have no. to put in perspective that he's playing with Edmondson and Caden Gooley wasn't able to, uh, you know, counteract that anchor either. So it's a tough job out there for, for all these young defensemen who are trying to hold on to the veterans and learn things on the job and keep things afloat on a team that doesn't really play very good defense. But, you know, I, I still have fun talking about this team. So hopefully everybody has fun watching. I watch them like, I mean, I haven't missed a game since, uh, I mean, I don't know. Like, I've been a fan for as long as I can remember of, of the squad. Like, 30 plus years I've been watching this team basically every night. The highs and the lows. There's been a lot of lows. But yeah, I you know, watch them all the time. And yep. I remember my first game watching, like, when I became a fan of hockey in general. 
I got in trouble and my parents sent me to their room because I think my younger brother was asleep in my room because we shared a room. And my parents had an old, like, 13-inch tube TV in their bedroom. And I turned it on. It was one of the ones where you, like, pull out the dial to turn it on and then switch. Which makes me sound way older than I actually am. (laughs) But TVs have advanced a lot in the last 35 years. And I remember uh, it was Canadians versus the Hartford Whalers. I think it was in the playoffs. And just watching Patrick Waugh doing his little, like... After a big yeah. save, and I was like, okay, I will love this forever and make it my entire personality. So that was it from yeah, then on. Well, I sold me too, man. Um, yeah, it was uh, as a kid, you're growing up, I had the whole wah, you know, coho road hockey gear too. Yep. I mean, uh, I was a player growing up, but I would play in net. Uh, playing ball hockey because of that gear and the helmet. So yeah, he he was the he was the man. He was fantastic. Yeah, and there are a bunch of kids right now who are watching guys like Nick Suzuki and Cole Caulfield who are having. That's right. Well, maybe they won't be having that moment right now because it's playoff game. But uh, <laughs> two years ago in the playoffs, they probably had that moment, right? And definitely. Cole Caulfield we'll always have in. that moment, Andrew. Right? Always have that. They'll always have that moment uh, down three one on the Leafs. So I'm this sure you would have taken a couple bad years of of what you got out of that series. You would have traded it in maybe for a couple bad years and a, and a shot at Connor Bedard here in, in a couple months. Oh yeah. I mean, if the Canadians get Connor Bedard, I don't think anybody is going to think about this season. You know, like nobody's going to look back at a January 3rd game against the Predators where they lost bad for the third straight game and be like, Oh man, that, that was a really rough time. If they get Connor Bedard, it's like a, a light switch flips and the entire fan base is on fire. Like I, I cannot even imagine how loud the Bell Center would get for Connor Bedard's first game as a Montreal Canadian. It would just be next level. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's next level in Halifax at the Metro Center. Uh, so I saw tickets were going for like they're going for like six thousand dollars tomorrow and the semifinal matchup against the states. That's just a semifinal matchup, ladies and gentlemen. Like I can't even imagine if they get to the gold medal game, you know, against Czechia or, or Sweden. But it's last. I had saw some snaps. Unfortunately, I wasn't able to go. Thought I would uh, be able to go to the New Year's Eve game, but a few buddies went and I saw some. They sent me some videos and some snaps last night, and it was it was electric in that building and you were just kind of waiting for a big moment from him. He had the puck on his stick so much. He had so many opportunities. You were waiting for him to, to take that game over. And I'm, I was still amazed that he was able to, to really take it over. So yeah, the, the bell center would be rocking. There's no question if he was in that uni, it would, it would just be nuts. And uh, Montreal MUFC says uh, 1986 or 1992. I would have only been one years old in uh, 1986. So it would have to be 1992. Uh, when I with the whalers, with Habs the whalers, uh, Habs whalers, yeah, yeah. So, I always felt like the Canadians always lost to the whalers. I just felt like they were a team they could never beat, just like Carolina, right? Yeah, except '86, they had that uh, amazing Claude Lemieux overtime goal, right? This is a famous goal, yeah. But yeah. uh, yeah, it would, it would have to be 1992 because I, I distinctly remember the cup run in '93 and uh, like crying while Patrick was going to every single camera, going, I'm going to Disneyland. I'm going to Disneyland, which I only found out as an adult that he was paid to do as an advertisement, which is wild. I know. You never really hear about those things, and I I didn't know that either at the time, obviously, but 
I'll never forget 93 just because of how superstitious like my family was and my family, like dad's friends, you know, you, oh, you came over and you sat here, you're wearing this and you sat there and they had all those overtime wins. Like, I mean, the Leclerc back to back, it's like, you gotta, you gotta come back. You gotta come back. You gotta wear the same thing and sit here, eat the same thing you ate that day. And it's all as a kid, you know, it's buying into that and thinking it was real, but it was just, uh, it was funny. It was uh, one of the craziest Stanley Cup runs ever. You know, the, the 10 straight overtime victories. I, I also love the story of going down 0-2 to Quebec and Patrick Wild just being like, now we're going to win. And the locker room, everyone's like, okay, okay, we're going to win. You know what's crazy that about stuff. that? I interviewed Guy Carboneau um, and Cormier and Lemaire at, in Mississauga at a sports expo conference. And I was talking to Guy about that run and like hockey players being superstitious. And did you ever, you know, were you, were you put on your left skate first, your left glove? Do you ever do any of that stuff during that run? And he talked about being down 0-2 to the Nordiques and him and Patrick while were rooming together and they were carpooling together at all the games and they decided to take another way. They were like, screw it. We got to mix it up. Let's go another way. <laughs> and that's why. <laughs> and, and and he's just like, and you know what? They laughed and they won in overtime. And he's like, and then you know what? We just drove that way the rest of the throughout the playoff run. So here we were thinking that we were the reason, but you know, he and then he even said himself, he's like, when really we know Patrick Law was the was the reason himself. But yeah, it's it's funny how players get so superstitious with with things like that. It is really funny. I mean, a, even a guy like Sidney Crosby, who's just like the ultimate workhorse, has like 500 superstitions he does before every single game, right? Like, yeah. I guess if you think like anything possible can impact you mentally, you got to do it. But <laughs> it's it's a weird, you, weird world. Did you hear the thing he said on Spitting Chicklets once? Actually, I don't think it was him. It was uh, Whitney. He was telling a story when the Penguins were on their 16 or 17 game winning streak. Uh, he would like Crosby would whoever was playing the music he'd go up to Crosby like I think the Crosby would go up to him the first first or second maybe it was the second win in a row like oh who's this band like really nice band and he you know he'd say who the band was and I forget and then they won the game and then he'd do the same thing and like he was just thinking is is Crosby messing with me like is he not all there like what is happening and then after like they had won like eight or nine in a row and he kept doing it and then after the winning streak was over you know Crosby went up to him he's like man heck of a run eh. <laughs> oh god the superstitions they just must pile up and pile up over time oh, right sure. by the guys like by the time a guy's a gray beard in the nhl he's just got like five he he's got to do every single game the weird lace the weird tape jobs on the stick and all that mm-hmm. so much intricate stuff to talk about but uh all right um i don't know now, talk about frustration i guess let's give uh Gallagher credit for finally busting the goal slump because there's a frustrated player if anybody's ever seen one. So maybe that's some good news for the Canadians as well is uh, getting Gallagher on the score sheet a little bit. Maybe he'll feel a little bit more like his himself heading into the next game. Yeah, I think he passed uh, Larry Robinson for I think like 25th now for Canadians goals um, tonight with with one. So he's at 198, I believe. Um, yeah, I mean it's been a it's been so frustrating for the past couple of years, right? Being so close to winning the cup and then seeing, you know, Price and Weber, you know, losing a large part of your leadership and that that core and fully getting flipped at the deadline and lacking in like just seeing going through that rebuild and and health has been such a thing with him unfortunately like his whole career and even 
this year. There's been a couple times where I've seen him go to the bench where he's so frustrated. I think the other night where he broke his stick and I, I thought, my goodness, is this guy got another injury where he's going to be sidelined for the next six weeks? And right. he ended up coming back. I mean, he just, he's got so much heart. I know it's, I, I hope it's not a bad breakup with him and the organization. Cause I know a lot of people are talking about his contract and, and things like that. And he does have a lot of years left and it's new management. So who knows what direction they're really going to go, but he, he's clearly still one of their, their leaders. They're, they're, I don't know, their number one leader, like clearly this guy. Uh, and so, like you said, maybe it's a um, couple puck luck, you know, puck luck his way, a couple breaks maybe, and maybe he gets going some confidence for himself too, because it has been a rough couple of years for him. It has. And like, frankly, I thought that like, I don't think anybody would have predicted things breaking so bad for Gallagher, even with all the hand injuries that he's had, you know, like he, he broke his hand the first time. I think he came right back and scored 30 goals. So yeah, like, even on their Stanley Cup final run, like he was doing all the Gallagher things, but you could tell his hand wasn't functional and he wasn't going to be able to score. And then he just hasn't been able to find his scoring touch since then. And he's never been a great shooter, right? He's been a below average finisher his entire career. He just creates a ton of chances, but now it's like below replacement level finisher and he's not creating as many chances, you know, and his line mates aren't as good. I, I feel a lot of the criticism towards Gallagher, I, I like to put it in its place a little bit just because like I have my issues with Gallagher outside of hockey in terms of like some of the things that he says and supports. But as a hockey player, I think he does pretty much everything the way you'd want it to do. You want it to be and leaves it all on the ice every time. And I think you look back at a year ago when or two years ago, I guess, when he was on one of the best lines in hockey with the Tar and Deneau, yeah. they go to the Stanley Cup, and the next year, both those guys are gone. Yeah. All of a sudden, on all like the preseason mock-ups, he's on the third line after being on the first line for the last like six, seven years. And it, it just seems like everything got taken away from him, and then his health got taken away from him with that short summer, and he just hasn't been able to catch up to it. And I think he's had such a long history of success that I just I can't find it in me to write him off so quickly, even though like all the evidence continues to say he's not there anymore. I still feel like he's gonna pop back in at some point and score 20, 25 goals, but it, it is probably unlikely. But a couple of years ago, you know, Brennan Gallagher looked like the guy to break the streak of the Canadians not having a single player since Mario Tremblay to score 250 goals on their team. Matt Naslin got close, 243. Max Pacioretty got close, 226. Thomas Placanich got close, 233. Stefan Riche, 225. But they've had literally nobody hit the 250 goal mark since Tremblay, which is crazy for a team as talented as them. Yeah, that is crazy. Uh, Geez, and I don't know. Um, You know, like I said, he's pushing 200, so maybe if he sticks around, you know, he. You're right. A couple of years ago, there was a four or five year span where he was actually one of the most with the elite scorers in the league at five and five. Yeah, he was like, second to only Ovechkin for like a four or yeah. five year period. Yeah, yeah. And he was creating chances every night. You know, I I'd take a look at shot props like even two years ago was a guy that I would I would consider for Montreal because he was getting four or five shot attempts. And even tonight, just one shot attempt. And that came late, um, you know, and, and he scored on that one. But his line, you're right, the line did not play good tonight with Dvorak and Hoffman. They allowed the most shot attempts, the most scoring chances. 
the most high danger chances tonight at five and five. And, and the Suzuki line really was, was very, very strong tonight in Caulfield, especially with 12 attempts. But I think it's, a, I think a little bit of foot speed, a lot of line line mates for sure, you know, playing with Deneau over the past couple of seasons, I think we all know, and people that maybe, <clears throat> excuse me, doubted Deneau, he proved his worth in the playoffs and how special of a player he is, you know, both ways too. And in LA, yeah. he's he's putting up career numbers and he's scoring and he's getting power play time and he's a good two way player. And then you mentioned Tatar and then Tatar off the line at times throughout the playoffs and Lekkonen was like, you know, he's a perfect guy to play a five and five with as well. Does a lot of good things. So his line mates have been very shaky this season and even last year. But I, I do notice a little bit of the foot speed. Not that he was a fast player anyways, but I know you know the numbers. When those years, when he was elite at 5-5 five and five scoring, he was among the leaders in, like, creating chances and, like, off the rush, like, entering the zone with the puck. like in, It's you know, the first couple steps, right? Net. Yeah, it's the first couple that seemed to me where he's... And maybe that's... It's health. I, I would say it's a little bit to do with that. Yeah, and oddly, I feel like the beginning of this season, he did have those first couple steps. He looked healthy yeah. for the first yeah. time in a while. And then, you know, you get an injury and it seems like it's back to square one. And I feel like, unfortunately, that's just what happens to guys in this league, right? It's one of the things that I wanted to ask Eric about, because, you know, like with the wrestler schedule, like how many times are you entering an arena where you feel healthy, right? <laughs> like Gallagher's kind of got like that situation going on. And I wonder if it would benefit him. Like I looked at him tonight. And even though he scored, like we talked about, the line wasn't good. And Gallagher has carried lines for a long time in his yeah. career. Although, you know, I think maybe we could say with the benefit of hindsight, Deneau was doing more of the work on that uh, gallagher Deneau tatar line than we gave him credit for. But, uh, like, though that uh, would it benefit Gallagher to not be playing in these games? Because... I look at him and I think this is a guy who might have might be sacrificing relatively productive years in his early to mid thirties to try to play right now to like prove that last year was an anomaly. Mm -hmm. And he's just creating more of that situation by forcing himself to play. Even though I know the athlete mindset has to be, I want to play, but it's, it is, you kind of have to, as a team, sit that guy down and say, like, listen, you can't do this. We're not shooting for the playoffs, right? This isn't Carey Price, you, and Shea Weber in the playoffs in 2021 where, like, yeah, you're going to put your careers at risk to get over this hump. It's not worth it right now. I know it's probably an impossible conversation to have with a guy like Brennan Gallagher, but it might be yeah. worth it. Yeah, you're right. I mean, I wonder how that talk would go with him. I mean, he's such a warrior, right? He, I, to your point, he battles through absolutely everything. And some of the things we probably haven't heard about. I mean, that playoff run, a lot of guys are playing through some injuries, but he was definitely one of them that was battling through all of it. And uh, yeah, maybe that's a conversation that they have here in the second half as, you know, they, they everyone knows they're rebuilding and they're trying to get their best out of their, their young players. And I'm sure they want to have him in the lineup for that leadership role. But maybe that's something that they, they talk about. If he is really battling through something and playing at 75%, what's the point? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, what don't, what's, what's the point you, you say, Hey, listen, you got four or five years left on your deal. You know, next year we're going to be more competitive, save yourself a bit. And it's no shots at, you know, Slavkoski, but he's played a lot of his five and five with a rookie too, you know, who has sometimes looked, um, you know, overmatched. So it, you know, he's, he has, he's, 
he hasn't had the same type of line mates at, at five and five this season or last season. And no. that's not going to change. It's not going to change for him, unfortunately, in the second half, unless they try to play him with, with Suzuki, which they've tried at times, but I, I just, I don't really see it. Yeah. Uh, unless he can keep up with Suzuki and Caulfield, I don't know how that would work. I mean, maybe if he started in the offensive zone for shifts and outside, like if they were starting shifts on the fly or, yeah. Outside of the offensive zone, it might work a little bit, but uh, like I like the idea of Gallagher on that line because I think of prime Gallagher, mm-hmm. right? And like, yeah, Gallagher forechecking while Caulfield and Suzuki are kind of swimming around like sharks in the offensive zone to pounce on loose pucks sounds great in my head, but yeah. it's not the Gallagher that we're seeing right now, right? Yeah, what do you think is he plays this out as a hab? His his years? Gallagher. Oh man, I don't know. I I think he I like I don't want to predict bad health for a guy, but just based on how the last couple three four years have gone, I it just seems like a contract that's destined for LTIR. Yeah, I know. And I, hopefully, well, I mean, we're not saying that that's going to be the case, and that we won't. Obviously, we don't want it to be the case, but we'll see how it does play out. But yeah, it's been a it's been a rocky couple of years for him, and. He's 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 battled through through a lot, and I don't know how much more. We'll see what happens. I don't know. I get this feeling it's like it's it's like a bad breakup. I don't know because it's because new management and you know a, a big part of the franchise, one of the fan favorites. Where's that letter on his chest? And and what he does is a war. And the things that we're talking about is his style of play, what we've seen before from him in the past. I wonder how it does end with him. Uh, but yeah, we'll see how it plays out. Yeah, it is unfortunate. All right. Uh... I think that's all we have for you guys tonight. Thanks for joining us here. This is, uh, it's been fun. I believe we'll probably go back to live pretty soon, but for January from now on, these will be recorded and then posted as a YouTube video normally instead of a live video. So unfortunately we won't have the interaction with the chat. If you want to ask questions, I'll create a hashtag and you can start hitting it up on, uh, on Twitter and we'll like read questions during the show. So there's that, but it won't have the live back and forth that we get to do uh in in the youtube chat here uh thanks chris for joining us thanks eric for trying so hard to come back onto the show after your internet failed we'll try to get you back on for january 12th if you're free uh chris before we close out tell everybody where they can find your work yeah i mean they can hang you guys can hang out with eric and i unfortunately it didn't work out i know he's really looking forward to the show andrew we should get together again for the for the second game i know he had a lot to talk about and he just really loves hockey and he's uh He's great with uh, all the wrestling fans out there as well. So him and I get together on Tuesdays and Thursdays at 10 Eastern, and we just roll through the NHL schedule. It's Those are always busy nights, 11 games tonight on the ice. We roll through it. You know, we talk it from a, a betting angle and just, you know, a fun hockey conversation. We have a bit of a family, a community there at FTN. They join us. They ask some fantasy hockey questions, and we got some true psychos. We got, like, diehard Coyotes fans and Columbus Blue Jacket fans hanging out with us, so try to make things fun and yeah all my work can be found over at ftn and uh at chris me on, on on social and twitter so appreciate you andrew i always love chopping it up with you man uh, sure. you guys are doing some fantastic work as well my old buddy drew livingstone is uh is working with you guys as well and uh, uh i'm sure you know him a little bit more and more with each day one of the biggest trolls in all of uh all of life drew livingstone yes so, he is to the crew. a giant troll with the palate of a four-year-old I swear the guy only eats like burgers and fries with ketchup, but (laughs) 
I will say uh, to the chat who are saying uh, no live, no vibe. I will say the video will be posted as a premiere on YouTube. So there will be a chat that you can go along with. Uh, so you guys can get together and and uh, and watch the the premiere of the video together and, and vibe with each other. I'll come on a little bit uh, if it's not too late and, and vibe with you guys as well and, and talk about the show. But uh, yeah, for the rest of January, that's how we'll be doing it. I apologize. I know everybody loves the lives, but uh, we got to work with what YouTube gives us. See if this is what the solution is. Uh, thanks to Chris. Thanks to everybody in the chat for joining us here today. And uh, we will see you on January 5th, where Mark Dumas and I will be together again. And we will talk about a likely Habs loss to the New York Rangers. Let's be honest. It's, it's going to be tough. It's going to be a tough stretch here. I warned you guys in October that this was going to happen. I said it over and over. So you knew. All right, we'll see you then. Game over! Powered by Sports Interaction, Canada's Sportsbook.